0: This episode of Wilshire Breakaway is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fraction shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including from companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees and a recount minimum. So whether you're new to investing or and you're ready to learn, I'm kind of both, or you're looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users listeners can get started with a free stock by going to promo code or rather to the website blueshirts.robinhood.com that's blueshirts.robinhood.com all investments have accrued risk involve risk and that uh, this is not investment advice a recommendation or or solicitation of any security other fees may apply visit rbnhd.co r- slash fees the free stock program is subject to certain limitations the annual percentage yield apy on uninvested cash is paid by your program banks and is variable robin hood financial is not a bank it's not a bank it's not a bank it's not a bank okay uh interesting show today uh you probably know the all-star break is happening uh, chris Kreider went artemi panarin is on a beach we will answer some five star questions. I think we're going to end up talking about Kobe a bunch and just what we're going to talk about some sad stuff, I think I'm pretty sure. Um I hope you guys enjoy the show, uh, some Ranger talk, some we're going to have a nice guest and we'll be back. There's I think there's 34 games in 65 days, so we're going to have a lot to talk about in the near future including a trade deadline. So let's get to Mark Messier and get to the show, shall we?
2: Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number 1 Rangers podcast.
0: Feds, welcome to the week of the blue breakaway i am your host ryan of the athletic and i'm here with my co-host greg kaplan greg say hello
2: let's just get into it yeah let's just get into it let's just
0: do it we're gonna get to some ranger stuff a little bit we have ryan clark on from the athletic today he's the avalanche beat writer he's phenomenal he's awesome uh we talk a lot a bit of uh, ranger trades and some avalanche stories there um but if you're in sports and you like sports at all you cover sports and it's a big part of your life like it is for Greg and I. There's only really one thing to talk about, right? Um, Yeah. So I was in the shower. I got out and I I just checked Twitter real quick. It was like around 3 p.m. or whatever. And a bunch of my tweets just said – like I just saw tweets that just said, what? And then I saw someone being like, yo, this Kobe news is fake, right? And I guess the way to open it on my side is – I've I've been an NBA fan a lot of my life. I follow the league pretty closely through podcasts. Do I watch a lot of the games? No. Um, but I, I I do follow it like in the WWE sense of the word. And Kobe's been a person that's like been in my life since I was four years old, as he has been for a lot of people. Was I like the biggest Kobe fan? No. But that dude, like, showed up probably weekly in my life. Um, and to get the news that he randomly and unfortunately passed away, like it was like jarring, shocking, unreal. Just a moment where like time stood still for a second because that is a person, and I'm sure as many people have said over the last two days, like, it just felt invincible. That's a guy that just isn't supposed to pass away at this point in time. Uh, just felt like he was gonna be in the NBA for the next forty years, was gonna be part of your life, was gonna keep doing mamba mentality things, and to... Uh, have him pass away was sort of reality shaking in the sense that, like, hey, you, like, I know this is a Rangers podcast, but like, it was me looking at my own mortality and being like, wow, if Kobe can go, anybody can go. And I know how like, silly that sounds. Like, when you say it out loud, like, wow, if life can get Kobe, they can get anybody. But when and I know there's been some like questionable stuff with Kobe's background, and I don't care about that at this point. The point is, he, lived his life to the fullest. He worked his ass off. He was a good father. All accounts say he was a great guy and just was stand up and hardworking and had a personality that was larger than life. And when that person goes, it really makes you take a look at your own life and appreciate the people that are around you because it doesn't matter how much money you have and how much you accomplished or what you've done. It can come in any moment and you have to appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I... uh... I was minding my own business um, yesterday, just playing uh, like FIFA, not doing literally nothing important on a Sunday, just chilling, waiting for the Royal Rumble basically to start. And uh, I'm in a text group with my college roommates and the attack, like I just hear my phone go off around three o'clock and it was my buddy, Sean, who in our text group, Sean is the guy who sends the ridiculous articles from ridiculous places of the internet. And it, it's not uncommon for him to share an article where like someone is just dragging a celebrity being like, Oh man, just totally killed. So-and-so. So when he said to Texas, like Kobe Bryant dead, I thought he was just sending another oh, article man. about some weird internet story that was going around. So I was like, all right, what, what the fuck is he talking about? Because there was, there was I was I was wondering if my phone just wasn't loading the article because it was just that in the word bubble. So like like anyone does nowadays, is I went on Twitter, I searched Kobe Bryant, you find the Adrian Wojnarski tweet, and you're just like, what the fuck is this? Honestly, it's it you touched on it. It's I never really thought about a life in where I'm alive and Kobe Bryant wasn't. He was one of those, one of those figures that you just assumed was going to be in your life doing various good things that he was doing for a longer period of time um this was coming off the night before LeBron passing him on the all-time scoring list so, many weird so it's things, like Kobe man. yeah it's like Kobe was very much in the lexicon not even 12 hours before this happened and then this happened um yeah i it's i I've only, I don't consider myself someone that usually gets like wrapped up in a celebrity death. It's look, it, it, we don't know these guys personally. They have monumental impacts on many millions upon millions of lives, but most of them, it's shocking to hear. You feel you you're upset about it, but three have hit me in ways. I didn't expect them to hit me. Uh, Ho- Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez was one that absolutely crushed me when it happened because here was this i mean this literal kid who seemed like he was on just a rocket ship to stardom doing all these great things in baseball was a personality in a game so desperate for personality and he gets robbed of us robbed from us at such a young age um th- th- this isn't a joke at all this is me being dead serious paul walker's death really really fucked me up I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think it would actually impact me greatly, but I remember getting angry at people telling me he had died, thinking they were just trying to get a rise out of me, and it was working because I was getting, like, visibly upset with them. Uh, And then, yeah, Kobe, Kobe, I just, I, it didn't make any sense reading it. It kind of still doesn't feel like it's, it's true. I understand this is literally denial to its fullest but it it feels like I'm, we're all just trapped in this really bad dream where this guy who yeah he, we, this isn't this isn't the medium we aren't the people to litigate all the dark things in Kobe Bryant's closet but there's no denying that man impacted a generation all of us our age 30-year-olds have crumpled up a piece of paper in the middle of a class Everybody. and said Kobe while shooting at a garbage can. Uh, The amount of times we've said Kobe during games of beer pong in college, Kobe is the definition of just what you would hope your star player is actually like. And you look at this generation of NBA stars and it's just guys who idolized Kobe's game. And to get that taken away at such a young age, um, not just Kobe, but uh, everyone else, on that helicopter Jeff McNeil credits the Orange County College baseball coach with basically resurrecting his baseball career in the uh Cape Cod League um Gigi Bryant and her teammate teenagers literally of bat mitzvah age no longer getting to just be kids really um every every bit about it it just gets more and more uh depressing the more you peel back the layers and it's it's, it's, it's fucking weird that we woke up this morning into a world without Kobe Bryant. It's it just, doesn't it's just, seem.
0: It feels fake. I was like reading, uh, Woj's story? Not Brian, Woj, but, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, um, before the, the podcast and I was like reading it, and I was like, this feels fake still. Like I don't, I haven't accepted that it's
2: real because yeah, I definitely, I'm right there with you. I, I do not accept the fact that like Kobe Bryant isn't going to show up at a basketball game in the next couple of weeks,
0: I'm waiting for someone to be like, "Haha, pranked you!" Like, man, that was good. You got the whole world in on this. Like, damn. But it's it's just not that way, and it just goes to show you, like, how. Listen, I know there's miser- miserable and terrible things happening in the world every single day, and you can make a case, like, it's Kobe Bryant, like, whatever. But that guy, like, it's everyone knows him. He's part of everyone's life, and that's why everyone's reacting the way it was, uh, or, or rather, they are. It's just hard to comprehend. Like, hey, it's it's a reminder. So, like, life is really fragile. And it's short. Like, Kobe was 41. Like, I wasn't upset when David Bowie died. Like, yeah, I was upset with David Bowie. I I was very fond of him, and I idolized his music a bit. But he was of the older generation, you know? He was 70. I don't know if he was 70. I think he was in his 60s or something like
2: that. Well, just think about it. Earlier this month, we lost David Stern. And while it's it's sad to think about David Stern no longer being on this earth and impacting the game of basketball, we can also – sit back, reflect and understand that like David Stern lived the full life. The game changed so much because of him. Like he had like, he's completed his, his
0: journey. His journey was yes. over. Like what else was yeah. he doing? Kobe just was, won an Academy award and he was going for more and he
2: had, yeah, Kobe, it just, it felt like there was so much more for Kobe to do. And I, it's, it's not just the fact, you know, you, we can read every great story about how wonderful of a father he he sure seemed like he was. Um, the, the most depressing thing we saw on the internet was after Kobe passed, everyone started passing around the eight minute, eight second video of him at the net game with Gigi being like, this is how I choose to remember Kobe. And then within two hours, we, we learned that that entire video was on the helicopter and it's just miserable. Can't even fathom what goes through someone's mind in that moment. Um, but Kobe, one of the biggest one of the biggest outwardly vocal supporters of women's sports. Uh, there's the, I believe it was with Jimmy Kimmel. The interview he said where fans were asking him, don't, didn't you wish you have a son to carry on your legacy? And Kobe saying, I don't need a son. My daughters will carry on my legacy and do more than I could ever dream of. Um, it, it it felt like we all got robbed of something. And I think that's part of why we're so upset about this after the fact It this wasn't, even I, I don't, I don't want to play this game. So I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say it because it, it did make me think. It's just like someone at work today that I was talking to was like, well, what would, what do you think, what do you think the world would be like if Michael Jordan uh, passed away in this instance? And don't, this isn't, I'm not, I am not comparing one to one. No, they're yeah. impossible to compare. I don't even want to think of it. At the same time, I do think we'd be able to be like, man jordan accomplished a lot
0: yeah he i w- did I don't think lot. you'd be nearly as i, I don't want to play this game either but i'm gonna play we're playing now like i don't think you'd be as upset because jordan like his journey is sort of complete he got to own right. the Hornets like, and the, shit, all that
2: do not do not, get us, do not get us wrong michael jordan still does a whole lot of great for charity he does a whole lot of great for um the brand of basketball expanding the game he seems he seems to be a, a
0: I'm not. Gener- I'm not gener- asking generally for Michael like Jordan to go through a movie. tragic moment. Right. I'm
2: just right. comparing. But it's just like it. While Kobe's playing career was over, I feel like we still only had like 35 to 40 percent of the Kobe Bryant story. Yeah. And it, it's just it's it's heartbreaking knowing that. We're just never going to get. I that. don't
0: feel like I'm going to hear from Michael Jordan like five more times in my life, like publicly. He's not going to just like he's Michael Jordan, so he's kind of always around. But there's never a time where he's just like randomly on my TV. But Kobe was always going to be randomly on my timeline and TV. When was the last time last time you saw like a random Michael Jordan like video on Twitter? Never. Like Kobe was going to be around all the time, and I can't even like I don't know. It's hard to describe to people who don't like my mother. She doesn't know who sports is. She knows who Kobe Bryant is. It's hard to describe to her why this was so upsetting. And it's just like, this is a person that's been around forever. It's more the concept of Kobe Bryant than it is actually Kobe Bryant. That is like just so hard to fathom. Like it's a guy that's just bigger than life and he's gone. And that's, it's so hard to swallow in process. And I don't even know there's, there's very few athletes or even people alive that are even comparable in this, like people alive. I don't know if you can do it outside of sports, like presidents and like, that's it. I don't really know who else.
2: It's a tough one. I, I, I don't know. Uh, we can we can try and transition into into Ranger yeah. hockey because I, we could we could just keep like trading this volleyball back and forth. But We're good. yeah, it, it it stinks. It it really does. I I'm one hundred percent still in denial about just about all of it. Damn. I I woke up this morning thinking like dead. It was just gonna be a normal day and Kobe Bryant was still gonna be doing Kobe Bryant things. So it's it's just fucking weird and sad and I don't know. Not, obviously no one's prepared for it, but I don't know. It's hard. It, it, yeah. Uh anyway. All right. Ranger hockey. Let's do some things Ranger down. hockey.
0: A lot of news this week, Greg. So much news. So much. Okay. Uh let's go through it. All right. That was Talking Rangers hockey.
2: But, Elias, so, okay. Elias gets loaned out, right? Yeah, Which, he goes to the
0: hv 20, 70 his old league. Um, do, and, do
2: you think it changes anything? Because I really don't think it changes anything. I saw
0: the Larry Brooks report that, like, things are thawing between the Rangers and Elias. But I think Elias was like, hey, I want to play hockey. And they were like, sure. But they're still like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> what are you right. doing? Because
2: it, it, it's still, it, it's, it's. I'm sure the Rangers still care about Elias Anderson, the person. And, he sure sounds like a young adult trying to get through the most complicated problem his life has ever encountered. And mm. the the Rangers are smart enough to be aware of that. They're not out here to try to spite Lea's Anderson. They're literally they're upset that this asset they invested a lot of time and money into will likely never blossom to what they thought. But they're also understanding that you know it's a human being that they need to worry about so if if Leah Anderson, the human being, is better served being in Sweden playing in the Swedish League, uh, the the Rangers have nothing to gain by depriving him of that. Uh, I don't think the there's a New York Ranger future in Leah Anderson's there, there's no New York Rangers in Leah Anderson's future. I don't see a scenario in which the Rangers are giving Leas Anderson another look at the NHL level.
0: I think there's I, a 20% chance. I, that's kind of where I feel. <laughs> I wouldn't
2: even I wouldn't even go that high. Yeah. I I still have a hard time even believing the New York Rangers are going to find a trade partner for him. I I think the Rangers are just going to try and play this one out. Let Leas redevelop himself as a human being in Sweden. When this contract runs out, I think the New York Rangers I, will just be like, All "I I right, guess my only question
0: right. to you is if Leas came to the Rangers I was like, "Hey, I want to play for Hartford again." Do you think they they're just like no, we're good?
2: Uh, hard to believe. It it's hard to believe that's even a possibility from Leas' side, right? I'm just from saying every- like say he has a change of heart, he's oh.
0: like fuck it, I want to play for Hartford next season. I'm going to earn it back to the Rangers. They they just they're just like no, we're good.
2: I don't think they I don't think they outrightly say no, but I think the Rangers would be like, "You understand you're spending 82 games in Hartford, right?" Like, I think the Rangers would be 110% up front being like, "There is, we are not going to take a single chance on you, injury or not, at the NHL level until you show us that you are in this from a developmental standpoint. Right? I guess so. Like, Yeah. That, that's the only way it happens. It's not like Leas would come back, have a good 10 games in Hartford, and all of a sudden the Rangers would promote him back to the NHL. I just don't see it working that way, Right.
0: I guess it would have to take it like two months. Like he'd have to be in the AHL, and he'd have to force his way. He'd have to be the best player on the team. I really think
2: I'd spend an entire year there. Oh, I really do, man. But I just everything everything we've heard, and then from there's Leas no way. If,
0: if it's another year, there's no way he comes back, just like you said. But yeah,
2: but just everything we've heard and read about Leus, it also just sounds like it doesn't sound like that's an experience he wants to have again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mentally, like, he's what, talked what about it. Motivate. What would motivate Leas to go through all that again? He just got out of it.
0: I guess the the motivation would be like he's regrouped, he's come back together. He's like, this is my last chance to play for the Rangers, an organization that drafted me. What you know? What
2: is this is his is, goal? This is what I have is to do? Goal, is his goal to play for the Rangers, or is his goal to play in the NHL? It's the
0: NHL for sure. It's not the Rangers. So I,
2: I I think if his goal might be to reestablish his value, and in a way that does help the New York Rangers, but I don't think. I don't think he's gonna play. I don't. I have a hard time believing he's gonna put a Ranger jersey on again.
0: Uh, other New York Ranger news. Uh, we, we have some five star questions coming up. We cover a lot of what we should go over for the New York Ranger news for this week. But Chris Kreider what's the All Star game in lieu of Panarin. Panarin was on a beach today, or yesterday rather, uh, shirtless, and he looks very fine. <laughs> I don't. I think he really just wanted a vacation. If if you're if I'm asking
2: if I'm say so myself, I just think that. It's- how many how many minutes did you spend watching either the skills competition or the All Star game? Zero. Yeah. Did you have any interest in watching either? Um. No. I had the
0: option to. I wasn't really busy. I could have. I had very limited interest.
2: I, I was I, like I didn't watch the skills competition because I remember. I remember physically being in my house and not changing the channel to put this. I watched
0: a gardening show with my wife.
2: That's I think there was a Hunger Games marathon on AMC, and I just watched that. Oh, I was watching, I watched that in basketball. I had a basketball parlay that I won that I was much more interested in than the Skills competition.
0: Well, I have a lot of Rangers hockey coming up to watch. As you might have seen from our good friend Hockey Statminder on Twitter, uh, and I posted this last week, the Rangers will play 20 games in the next 37 nights. And then he followed that up with, there's 34 games in the next 65 calendar days. That's a lot of fucking hockey. So, I, you know, I don't really need to watch the All-Star game.
2: Did I need to? Yeah, not not, not just that, but honestly, like, I'm not a big All-Star game anywhere person.
0: Okay. I watch. I'll tell you where I, I, I am. The KHL. It's
2: awesome. Well, that's not an All-Star game. That's like a parody. It's like a comedy sketch. Awesome. Show. I
0: watched like yeah. ten, 10 minutes of the highlights from the, the KHL All-Star game. And a phenomenal watch. Just go, Just Google KHL All-Star game highlights. It's amazing.
2: I could, I could tell you the only things All Star Game related I ever watch. I watch,
0: home I run go run. out of my
2: way to watch the three point contest yep. in the NBA, and then I won't even watch the home run derby unless the Mets involved. Really? Like the only reason I, watch I watched it. the home run derby last year was because of Pete. I try to That's watch it, it
0: every year. It's kind of fun to have on the side screen. Um, I will, I will watch the dunk contest if, if someone notable is in it, or if Twitter is a a. A flame with something great is happening. Uh, or I guess you yeah, just I, watch the gifts I don't know, probably. Yeah,
2: I, I can't even remember the last time I watched the Dunk contest. Literally, three point contest is the only thing that does anything for me all star weekend.
0: Happy Chris Kreider went. He's just not as fast as Connor McDavid. Newsflash.
2: Who knew? Uh, well, Barzal won.
0: I know. Right. He, he did win. Uh, Connor McDavid got second, though.
2: Um, you, Chris Kreider, not as fast as Joey Keene, apparently, either. Is that true? Yeah, Joey Joey Keane bested Chris Kreider's time in the AHL in the
0: AHL uh, um, All Star Game. That's awesome. I know that the AHL All Star Game had a 109 mile per hour shot.
2: Yeah, that's fucking weird. That's ridiculous. by a guy by a guy named uh, Abd Apts Friend Ferk F R K. <laughs> that's his last name. Okay, this is like with
0: that guy that's A B T apt That's a- the, no, Abd, Abd. Abd
2: I'm I'm still I'm still convinced it's like Bate and the A is silent. Uh, uh, Bate. That'd be unbelievable.
0: All right. Uh, let's go through some five star questions, and then I guess that'll be uh, we'll go right over to Ryan Clark after that. Uh, we have a we, we have a couple today. If you want to leave a five star question, you can go to our iTunes, leave a five star review, and put the question in the in the review, and we'll read it on the show, dude. Every single week. This is from Clyde Frog, nineteen eighty. Assuming he roughly continues his his current scoring pace, what does an arbitration award look like for Tony D'Angelo, And what is your opinion on a t- long term extension going to cost? Hmm. Uh, what do you think? Three million for the arbitration, three point one, something like that.
2: Hard to imagine him getting less than three million dollars next year. Uh, I don't know that the Tony D'Angelo long-term discussion is still something I I struggle with just because I I don't I just I don't know if it's if the juice is really worth that squeeze if you're the New York Rangers is what it comes down to. But if it, on a one-year deal the, he's making north of three. On a multi-year deal, I, I don't see a scenario in which... like I think you could bridge him for like three and yes, a half, maybe. That's on exactly what deal. I was
0: going to say. That's that's uh, where I am at. I think they bridge him for if, two if years, you're talking, 5.
2: Yeah, if you're talking like four plus years, I don't know how you convince him to take anything less than at least four and a half, if not five. I mean, he's had a similar point in his career where Brady Shea was. I think if, you, if, you, if, you, were,
0: if you could p- sign up Tony D'Angelo for four and a half, Times four right now. I think you do it.
2: I don't think you can though. I really just looking at what Brady Shea was when his RFA extension season kicked in, and they're kind of at similar points in terms of.
0: Yeah, I don't think he'll allow it on him.
2: ice, production. I I I just I don't think the market for D'Angelo is four and a half million dollars on a long term deal. So you're talking about a guy that's going to get north of five million dollars on a super long term contract. I don't know. I'd I'd personally. I just play the arbitration game with Tony every year. I wouldn't even worry about a bridge. I would just go one-year deals with him until I decide what to do. Uh, if it costs you a little bit more in the long run, that's fine. I think you just – you play the flexibility game with Tony more than anything else.
0: This next question is from RGA1994. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to try and shorten it for him or her, whichever. Um, pretty much he says – or she – says – Shouldn't you be trading, or you guys talked about Tony D'Angelo being in the top four? That's where he should be. Should you be looking to trade Brady Shea if that is the case?
2: Uh, no, we've been over this many times. You, first of all, people looking to trash Brady Shea for having a bad season, I don't, I don't know. I guess they just want someone to hate, and Brady Shea's the punching bag. Uh, I don't think, I just don't, I think Brady Shea makes more sense long term as a New York Ranger than Tony D'Angelo. and that has that I don't I don't want anyone jumping at me saying it's fucking politically related for me saying that look I think it's it's so I it it. just say because it just say it I didn't no I'm not going to <laughs> okay. but at the same time it's often we end up judging defensemen on their point totals which is fucking weird to me it'd be like judging pitchers on their batting average it's it, it, I like that Tony D'Angelo can produce at a high level offensively. I appreciate that when he has the puck, he can generate offense from the blue line. At the same time, it would be great if my defenseman could play defense. And I get that Brady Shea is not going to win a Norris this year. Don't get me wrong, but it's just Brady Shea is a better defender than Tony D'Angelo. Like we're, we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel by saying that. That's not a controversial opinion to have. It's just, I don't understand where this Brady Shea hate has come from. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think Brady Shea, here's the thing. Brady Shea and Tony D'Angelo could be equally important to the Rangers' long-term future because both of them should be playing in the top four. The fact that the Rangers don't play both of them in the top four says more about the Rangers than it does either of their performances. I just think Brady Shea is a. He fills a bigger void for the Rangers than Tony D'Angelo does. What Tony D'Angelo does well can be replicated by the other defensemen on the Rangers roster, whereas what Brady Shea does well is something Tony D'Angelo is not capable of doing.
0: Um, so I don't know. I, I want to read the rest of his question, uh, or her rather. Uh, my thought was regarding was regarding to Ryan Strom. the The fear is that New York Rangers are unable to agree to terms with Strom he will likely find a file for arbitration and will settle on a one-year deal only to have him walk the next season.
2: My What's thought, wrong with that?
0: My thought would be to move him, put Heedle at 2C, and sign somebody else who would be cheaper than Strom to a relatively short deal to play somewhere in the top nine. Uh, Craig Smith, uh, to name a few options, he needs some other options too.
2: But that, here's the thing, that scenario doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a cheaper option on the free agent market. Your cheapest option next year is going to be right. Ryan Strom in arbitration. Probably. Like. Viable this is, this is this is how we just. I don't know if we just forget that this is how NHL free agency works. Nobody goes to NHL free agency and all of a sudden takes a discount. So whatever, whatever you think the it, I don't know. If you're looking to replace Reinstrom's production on the free agent market next year, you're going to spend more than what you're going to pay Reinstrom to do it. And quite honestly, you're probably not going to be successful in doing it. So it's it doesn't make a lot of sense to be dangling Ryan Strom. Strom's another guy I would just play the arbitration game with them. You don't have to think long term, think year to year with Ryan Strom. The New York Rangers need to the New York Rangers need to identify what their future is at the forward position. They're not in a position outside of again Chris Kreider who we think is a guy not in the Rangers long term future where the Rangers should be subtracting more than anything else from the forward ranks. Keep Strom for a year, worry about it the year after that. I just you're not going to be able to replace Rydström on the free agent market. It just ain't happening.
0: Here's one of my favorite five-star questions in a long time. This is from State of Course, who is also a uh, frequent commenter. It says, "God damn it, has no one thought of saying the Breadman has entered yeast mode when he's having big games? Does anyone else say this? Or I forgot. If not, you're very welcome. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard yeast mode.
2: I haven't. Uh, it makes me. Th- it makes me think of a." a rash on your skin more than it does. Yeast yeah. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like it. Also, as a member of the tribe, we don't have the world's greatest relationship mm, with yeast. Good point. We historically weren't uh, patient enough for it. So it, it's hard for me to get behind this one, but I support it.
0: Next question from Nick, Nick DiPola. I always mess that up. Sorry, Nick. Um, and he's pretty much says, maybe this question is a bit outdated given the team's improved defensively over the past month or so. But should Quinn shoulder any of the blame for the team's defensive problems? Everyone's quick to blame Ruff, but shouldn't the Bucs stop with the head coach? I'm not sure how his BU team performed. Maybe his teams were never good defensively either. Uh, he should stop with the head coach, but there's been just this interesting, like, comparison with Lindy Ruff players, players that are on the Rangers that, like, are trained under Lindy Ruff, who supposedly has good relationships with the defensive players and why he's still here. At least that's what I've heard. But other than that, like... I, I think Quinn has to make the, the decision to keep Luff, Ruff around, but Ruff, he's Ruff's an old guard. Ruff was here before Quinn, and that's why we kind of blame Ruff in that situation because he's in charge of the defense. If the goalies were messing up, I think we'd be like, hey, Benoit, what are you doing with the what are you doing with the goalies these days that it's different? Benoit Lair never messes up with the goalies and they become quite good as you as you know. But Lindy Ruff exclusively works with the defense. It, just like if we were in the NFL and the offensive line was shit, I would you know, I would say, hey, is, isn't this the jet? What's the jet's head coach name with the eye, the eyes bulging out? What's his name? Adam Gase. If Adam Gase is like, it's maybe his fault, but it's really the offensive line coach that has to really work with those players. Like the Patriots are famous for having a great offensive line coach. So yes, at the end of the day, uh, I pulled it. I pulled the Greg. Um, it is Quinn's fault, but it is directly Ruff's fault.
2: Uh, yeah. We, we've had this conversation a bit with Jeff about Jeff Gordon in the past where at some point in time, in order, I mean, we specifically had it when it comes to uh, Tanner Glass specifically, where we Fantastic. were blaming. We, we, you can blame Elaine Vigneault as much as you want for putting Tanner Glass in the lineup over some certain players. At some point in time, you need to blame the GM for allowing the head coach to have his toys. Like you need to take the toy away from the coach, and this is partially how you have this discussion too, where it's. It's not necessarily Quinn's fault that the defense sucks. It's not necessarily Quinn's fault that Lindy Ruff can't coach defense to save his life. At some point, though, it is Lindy Ruff's fault for simply not not even attempting to change something, right? Like, if something's not working, David Quinn can sit there and point and say all he wants that, oh, this is a problem but at some point it does becomes the coach's fault for not trying to fix that problem. So I, I I'm kind of with you where I don't think it's as easy as saying, "Oh no, it's all Lindy Ruff's fault and let's just keep blaming Lindy Ruff." At some point in time, the head coach has to be like, "All right, this clearly isn't working. I need to try something. Lindy, what
0: you're doing is garbage. It's now it's my fault because I'm in charge of you because that's my job." That's how it works, you know. Um this next question is from Woody Thirteen. Hey guys, the news about loaning Lea's to the SHL team came out today. Everything I'm reading talks about how much his trade value has diminished after the, this is all unfolded. I know he requested a trade. Do you think it's possible for JD to continue reconciliation with him to a point where he comes back to Hartford, or has that ship sailed? Christine, Christine, we did uh, sort of cover that already, but I appreciate you writing in, and we answered your question, actually pretty in depthly. Uh, this next question is from Joe M Twenty Seven. And this is also a question we sort of talked about, but we can expand on it. Hey guys, just wanted to let, get your thoughts on the All-Star game. I feel like the All-Star game has gotten a little worse over the years. I know all the players don't play hundred percent because of the risk of being injured, but it just feels like it's gotten sort of boring. Your thoughts. It has gotten sort of boring sort of boring. And if you really want to get me to watch it, you have to do something some sort of outlandish. It has to be crazy. It has to be like the I, KHL.
2: I just think I just think all-star games in general are outdated and unnecessary. I really the All-Star game once was created to in an era where we didn't have cable television and these guys weren't you weren't able to watch Stan Musial or if you lived in California you weren't able to watch Joe DiMaggio on a nightly basis, right? Yeah. You in parts of the country you had only three opportunities to see the Yogi Berra's or those type of players in baseball, right? So like once upon a time, hockey fans Everywhere weren't able to see Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. They weren't able to see Mark Messier. So, all star games were an opportunity for the fans to be able to be like, look at all these stars in one place. We can now dream of this happening. We just live in a world now where if I want to watch Nate McKinnon, I don't have to try really hard to watch Nate McKinnon. No, I can
0: find, I can find gifs a stream of him on accident. Yeah. I know a lot so, about Kate McKinnon. Nate Kate McKinnon. Nate McKinnon. Shout out to SNL. Nate McKinnon. And I don't follow anybody that's Avalanche related pretty much at all. And I know a yeah, lot about
2: you, it. It's I'd much rather just, just name an all-star team at the end of the year and just call it the all-pro team. That's it. Like, if, if the all-star team is to really not – especially the way the NHL does it, I don't understand how they pick an all-star team because it just doesn't make any sense to be like, well, oh, every team needs a representative. You really should at just be picking the best players that season and honoring those players. I don't know. I just – I don't think – you can blame millennials all you want. You can do whatever you you can blame whoever the fuck you want. I just don't think any of us are clamoring for all star games anymore. No. We can watch these guys whenever we want. We don't need That's why it's gotta be ridiculous. One weekend year. If
0: if if you want me to watch personally, Ryan Meade, if you want Ryan Mead to watch your all-star game, it has to be totally bonkers. Like I want people in like full costumes, I want people like in animatronics. I want I want all of this really crazy shit. That's then then I'm watching. It has to be funny and weird, then I'm in. That's it. That's the only way I'm watching. Um, I think that's it for five star questions. If you guys want to leave one, you know what I do it. iTunes. Uh, let's go to our interview with Ryan Clark. But first, an ad from one of our favorite returning sponsors, Gregory Transition. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the United States have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe. Uh, actually, it's on average people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in the United States. That's crazy. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want to treat it ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor who's licensed in your state all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or a computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decli- decides, not declines, decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship out you medication with free two-day shipping. You get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or you just want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to gettrowman.com BSB for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's get. <laughs> Get Roman. Get Roman. Get Roman. I'm going to leave it in. You know what? If they yell at me, I don't care. GetRoman.com slash BSB. That's right. GetRoman.com slash BSB. Not GetRoman. Oh, my God. I'm the worst. Sorry, Roman. GetRoman.com slash BSB. And can you believe it's the last game of the season? It's been a fun-filled, record-setting, and action-packed all the way through. Now, there's only one fitting way to end the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top, top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable betting app. Place your bets for America's biggest game of the year with the American-made. That's right, American-made DraftKings Sportsbook app. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including countless prop bets and football squares. Ah, uh, I mean, I would like first to score Mr. Kittle himself. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK that when you sign up for a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code QUICK, and you'll, you get your sign up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years old, New Jersey only. Bonus comp- comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet, bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25x playthrough restrictions supply. See slash sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Back to the show. Back With our first guest of the day, we have Ryan Clark, also of The Athletic. He's a beat writer for the Avalanche. We're doing our trade series where we bring beat writers on and tell them why they won't be trading for Rangers. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: As previously discussed, we both have great names and we support it very well. And uh, also we're a powerful duo together. We brought you on to talk about uh, mostly the trade potential and some other, the, other happenings for the Avalanche this season. Have you heard of a player named Chris Kreider, and could we interest you in him? Because I have a feeling there was a market previously, or maybe you could tell us if there was with the Avalanche. Because we've always heard rumors that there, there were interest in Chris Kreider, or that rather there was interest in Chris Kreider in the past. And yet the Avalanche did not pursue that due to having the player they wanted picked at the, at the, at the draft day, rather. at Not the trade deadline, the draft day.
1: Well, you know, it's such an interesting thing because I think when you look at Chris Kreider, he and Kevin Hayes were two guys that have been floated around the avalanche going back to last year, maybe even slightly longer. And of course, uh, Kevin Hayes is now off the table and you look at Chris Kreider and he just has one year left on that deal at 4.625. But even then you're talking about a prorated salary. And it's really going to be interesting to see what the avalanche do, because the thought process is they're looking at trying to add maybe another forward and another defenseman for them, a forward would be someone who they feel could possibly project in a middle six role who can add a little bit of a of a grit mentality some offensive production but really stabilize that third line because when you think about the avalanche you know they have a top line of nathan mckinnon gabriel Landeskog, and miko ronson a second line of nazim kadri andre burkowski and Jonas stanskoi a fourth line of pierre with belmore matt calvert and matt nieto it's kind of that third line that's been tricky to figure out and the thing is Sometimes that Belmar line will be the third line. Sometimes it'll be the fourth line. But either way you slice it, really, Valerian Nechushkin has probably been one of the more consistent performers who's operated in that role. Whereas if JT Comfer has had points, but it's been inconsistent at times, and Tyson Jost started to look better before the All-Star break, but at the same time, Tyson just as a player this franchise is still waiting to kind of hit on in terms of what is he consistently? So to be able to bring in any piece, and if you bring in someone like Chris Kreider, I mean, look, the thing is this. First of all, he, he fits what you want salary cap wise. Second of all, he's 28 years old, which fits that range of them wanting to stay young. Another thing is they're going to be able to add more size on the wing because they're going to have six three two seventeen. When you think about what they have with Landeskog, Rontanen, Burkowski, Nichushkin, that already helps. But to be able to have someone like Kreider would certainly add to that. It would give them another piece on the power play, whether that's PP one or PP two. But a ball ball S, you know he is someone who can produce. You're talking about a player who, again, aside from what 2017, 2018, has been a consistent 20 goal scorer, believe what, before the last five years and the rate he's going is going to be five of the last six. So look, it would make sense for the Avalanche to try to look for a player like him, but also look for it makes sense for any club to look for a player like him. But again, it's all going to be about what price you're willing to pay for him.
2: Yeah, and thinking about thinking back to the summer trade that wasn't. I know I think it was Elliot Friedman who said the Avalanche and Rangers were pretty far along in talks for the 16th overall pick. Uh, It's a lot easier for a team to trade a first-round pick when they don't know where they're drafting, right? It's a little harder to convince a team to give up what is a known quantity in the 16th overall pick. But if if you're the Rangers and you're selling the Avalanche a little bit on this. If you add Kreider, you can go on a deep playoff run. You can kind of convince the Avalanche it's a little easier to trade, like pick 26 or 27, right?
1: Yes, because it, part of it goes back to where the Avalanche are now because, I mean, for the longest time, this was an organization that under Joe Sackett was really invested in a sense of trying to hit through the draft because when you think about what the Avalanche have done, sure, for every Landiskov, McKinnon, Ronson, and Kale McCarr that's worked out, there have been issues with this team in the sense of you look at the 2014 draft, Anton Lindholm is the only player who's made it to the NHL out of what I believe was like a six person class. And then furthermore, when you look at what they've done from 2009 to let's say 2015, because you saw prospects from 16, 17, 18 and 19 still uh, forming and developing, Tyson Berry and Ryan O'Reilly were really the only players that went beyond the first round who had any semblance of a sustainable NHL career beyond 200 games and so for them trying to build through the draft and using those pieces has been really critical but when you look at where they're at right now you kind of start to wonder is this an organization that's willing to say maybe this is the time to start moving on from first round picks in order to get someone in return whether that's a temporary rental or in this case maybe someone you trade for and you say they fit in well they fit in need it's a it's a cap friendly contract, or We think we can agree to a cap friendly contract. Is this person worth signing? And right now, this is kind of the next stage in Joe Sakic's sort of progression as a general manager. Like we've seen him use a blueprint of speed, intelligence, hockey sense, and and technical ability. Excuse me. And in, in terms of being two way, to kind of build this team. Now it's just a matter of what does that next step look like? We saw what they did in the off season, going out and trading for Kadri, Burakovsky signing Dom's going for Agency. Like you built a second line that didn't exist this time a year ago. So what's the next step? Is it going for a rental knowing that there's going to be a cost associated with it? Or do you maybe hold off on that for a little bit longer?
0: I guess the question really that comes up in this point is that what could the Avalanche or what would they be willing to give up for Chris Kreider? If, is it more than the first round pick? Is it sort of this mid round prospect that we don't know of? Is is, is it a ready to go NHL player? What is, uh, what is available for trade in the Avalanche organization?
1: You know, it's interesting because everybody talks about prospects and the, the name that comes up is Bowen Byram. And that is a player that they are not willing to move on from. <clears throat> excuse me. The thought is with Bowen Byram, this kind of defense of the future, or the future four, as it's been called, could be Bowen Byram, Kale McCarr, Samuel girard and Connor Timmins. And the thought is it would be four puck-moving defensemen who can defend pretty well, who can do all these different things and be this sort of new-age defense that's homegrown that you're more or less looking for. But when you look at other prospects, again, it'll be interesting. Shane Bowers is someone who he had struggled early on. He's now found his form. They've moved him the wing having started off at center, and he's someone that teams might take a look at, but the Avalanche really do like him. Their scouting department has been fond of him really since they started looking at him prior to the 2017 draft because of what he can bring. Now, they might start looking at some, again, some mid-round guys because when you look at the last two drafts, the Avalanche sort of feel like the, what they've done is they've been able to really find players who they think can be those sort of mid-round picks that have eluded them in the past, just because when everybody looks at developing and and how to win, I mean, you look at Tampa's model. Yes, they've not won a Stanley Cup yet, but one of the successes they've had, aside from, you know, drafting cornerstone players like Stamkos and Hedman and Vasilevsky and Kucherov is, you look at the work they've done beyond the first round. I mean, Kucherov was a a second rounder. You look at some of the free agent pickups they made, such as uh, getting Tyler Johnson, who was an undrafted free agent, Andre Pallott, who I think was, what, a seventh round pick. Uh, You look at these other moves that they've made, getting a guy like Matthew Joseph as well. And I think that's really a place where the Avalanche are trying to emulate. So we think they might have a base for it. so who knows? They could move on from it. But in terms of the current Avalanche roster, I mean, if you're the Rangers, you're going to want someone who is young, or you feel that – kind of fits within what you're doing. So maybe a Ford, maybe they look at someone like Tyson Jones. Maybe they have a conversation about JT Confer because he's making three and a half million this year. And who knows, maybe the Avalanche feel like that's not the right fit. But the point is,
2: there's going to be options. It's just a matter of which one works. Do you feel the Avalanche need to shop in the Chris Kreider aisle? Or is there a scenario where maybe the Avalanche look a step down? Like names like Tyler Tyler Toffoli, readily available in LA seems like you can get just about anyone you want from the LA Kings roster. Is this a trade deadline where you feel the avalanche need to make a move for Chris Kreider, or could they be better suited, maybe going a little bit further down the discount aisle?
1: You know, it's hard to say because it's really about what the value you think is for someone who's a middle six, four, because again, it's like with Kreider, it's, do you put him in a second line role and maybe, let's say, move Andre Burakovsky, not Burakovsky, Simeon Ostansky down the third line. And that way, if you put him with a line with Kreider, Kadri, and Burakovsky, not only do you have like a menacing two-way center, Nazem Kadri, who's driving play, but you've got two big wingers in Burakovsky and Kreider who can really give them a lot of options, especially with cycling, something that Jared Bednar has constantly stressed with what he wants to see in attack while moving Donskoy to the third line, which if you have Donskoy and Michushkin there on the edge, you can put J.T. Comfort, Tyson, Jost at center, give them a little bit more insulation. But again, the question is, what's the premium? Whereas if you look at someone like Tyler Toffoli, for example, sure, he's going to produce. I mean, you lose a little bit size-wise from Toffoli to, from Kreider to Toffoli, but at the same time, it could be a move where, you might have to give up less and that's just it if you're the avalanche and you're trying to potentially a deal for a forward or a defenseman maybe even both you've got the assets but again it's just about what are you willing to give up so they might look at a situation where they say let's try to go for equal value at forward or defense or maybe they decide hey look this is the year to try to push to maybe get someone with a little bit bigger of a profile like a chris Kreider. Who knows?
0: People who don't follow the Avalanche and mostly are focused on the East Coast teams like Greg and I might not know exactly what the Avalanche's window is for contention. Obviously, they have McKinnon, who is a uh, the second best player in hockey right now. I think you can make that argument. What is the window of contention for the, the Avalanche,
1: and why might they not push all in this year? The thought is seven to ten years. I mean, that's something Keith Jones from NBCSN said. His thought was, he looked at them the way he looked at the Pittsburgh Penguins, the way he looked at Chicago Blackhawks. And quite a few people have said that in the sense of they could be this next long-term sort of dynasty. Because again, when you think about the core of their team, I mean, let's sit here and look at it now. Nathan McKinnon is 24 years old. Nico Rottenman's 23. Gabriel Landeskog's 27. Comper's 24. Burakovsky, who's an RFA after this season, is 24. And the way he's performing, it seems like there's a possibility. They want to try to keep him around. Tyson Jost, 21. Uh, Kale McCarr is 21. Samuel Gerard, 21. Nikita Zadorov, 24. Ryan Graves, the name you guys know, is, is 24. But then when you look at this prospect of uh, Martin Kaut, Shane Bowers, Bowen Byram, uh, Alex Newhook at Boston College, Drew Hellison at Boston College, Sampo Rant at Minnesota, uh, Alex Bokash, who they drafted out of the QMJHL, Luca Barzal, uh, you name it. Oh, and of course, another big one being Eustace Noonan, who is a 19 year old Finnish goaltender who is setting records playing in the Finnish Liga. Like, that's why there is this conversation is because you have all this youth. If they do well in entry level contracts, it gives you some flexibility. And not only that, but like you're talking about a franchise that Denver's a really easy place to sell itself. You come here, you can be good. You don't have people bothering you. I mean, I look at Nathan McKinnon. We had a story last year at the athletics saying, look, when he goes back to Canada, everybody knows who Nathan McKinnon is. I mean, he's Nathan McKinnon. He can walk around Denver with his dog and no one knows who he is. He can walk through park Meadows mall and people leave him alone. In fact, you'll appreciate this anecdote. I was at a Dick's sporting goods buying some Nikes and there was a young man working the counter So behind him, he had an Arenado jersey, a Jokic jersey, a Von Miller jersey, and a McKinnon jersey. And I just wanted to mess with him. I was like, yo, who's McKinnon? And he was like, man, I think he plays hockey. I couldn't tell you. And I was like, all right, that tells me all I need to know. So again, it's just for some people, that could be a selling point in coming here. And that's why the thought is this team could do well for a long time. Uh, Wow.
2: Before before we get into a little bit of a uh, Cal McCarr uh, gush session, uh, why don't why don't you give us a little bit of the our own medicine that we've given our friend uh, Murata Tesh in the past with a little I told you so about Ryan Graves because that's a guy the Rangers basically gave up on and he's carved himself out a little niche with the avalanche. First of all, I've never heard of this Murata Tesh
1: person, so I couldn't tell you. Um, I'm joking. He's one of my closest friends. He, oddly enough, in the right light, looks like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. But I digress. Wow. Uh, so now that's going to stick with. That's not going to stick with you for the rest of the year. Go me. But to be serious, you know, watching what Ryan Graves has done is really, really fascinating. Just because at the time that trade was made, people just kind of looked at it as Graves for B-Rod Just one defenseman for another, who knows what this is going to be. But then when you look at what he's done and talking to people at the AHL level, the Colorado Eagles, it's fascinating because Connor Timmins, who's one of their top defensive prospects, who we just mentioned a little bit ago, Connor Timmins was saying that something he learned from Greg Cronin, the head coach of the Eagles, who used to be, of course, the head coach at Northeastern, a former New York Islanders, and, and Toronto Maple Leafs assistant was, there is this conversation about three points that they use to illustrate what they want to do. Lane footwork and technique. And so Connor, so Greg Cronin said, they know when they make a mistake, they can do a quick inventory and say, my technique was poor or I started poor. So he being Connor Timmons in this case knows that he said, Ryan Graves learned that last year and he's applied that to his game. Some guys, and this is the real mystery of coaching, Some guys can pick that up and pick that information up quickly. They can absorb it repetitiously so they are reliable in that part of the game. And that's one of the things that people in the organization feel Ryan Graves was able to attain playing at the AHL level. The size was always there. The puck moving ability was there. The defensive reliability, shades of it were there. But for him to be in a system like that, getting that sort of tutelage and then come up to the avalanche, it was really fascinating because people talked about him in preseason. 2018 2019 is oh maybe this could be something you know someday soon but then when he got called up the fact that Jared Bednar was playing a seven defenseman system just to find ways to keep Graves in the rotation was telling with what they thought so they moved on from Patrick Nemeth and now Ryan Graves is a player that like look when you think about what he's achieved at this point Ryan Graves in 26 games with the Avalanche last year three goals five assists In 48 games, he has eight goals and 19 points. I mean, Ryan Graves has done some work. And so because of that, what you started to see is someone who has not only carved out a a niche in the sense of where he is in the organization, but you're seeing him play top two minutes, uh, and you're seeing him partnered with Kale McCart. He's getting an opportunity on the PK. They're playing him in late-game situations. Like, the way that Ryan Graves has gone about really finding a role and, and, and finding an identity within the avalanche organization i mean just to see what he's done i mean it really does kind of make you wonder like what was it that was so different in colorado that compared to what he went through in new york especially with the fact that he's an rfa this year and it's six 220 he offers so much that he looks like a guy that they probably want to give at least a two-year deal to
0: that's amazing because I, I i was a little high on ryan graves back then i'm I'm happy he succeeded. That's, that's all I can really say for him because he never really got a fair shot with the Rangers, unfortunately. I kind of want to go back really quick to uh, you said how no one really cares or not cares or does, doesn't really understand. How do I put this? So in Chicago, no one cared about the Blackhawks and then they, they started winning. How quickly would the fans turn around in, in Colorado if the Avalanche won a cup?
1: You know, that's a hard question to answer because you do have diehards here. Just the problem with a market like Denver is it's so Broncos driven. And people say, well, isn't the NFL just king anywhere? But tell you what, as someone who's from the East Coast, let's use, I don't know, New York as an example. Look, people care about the Giants and the Jets, but that's also a city that, look, they care about the Yankees. For some reason, they still care about the Knicks. Uh, you have, of course, the collection of people who care about the Nets, the Rangers, and the Islanders, and there is an understanding that while we know where the hierarchy works, if a certain team is doing better than everyone else, so for example, let's take the Mets. <laughs> if the Mets are having a great season, good one.
2: Or and there, I hear the chuckles, but to be serious, like let's say, like let's look at that yeah, point in yeah, season. Yeah, when you, the hear the, you hear the couple, chuckles because you hear the chuckles because I'm the biggest Mets fan in the world, and Ryan knows that I've never known <laughs> happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why you're hearing the Chuckles.
1: <laughs> but but,
0: but oh, continue, so continue down this hypothetical. I like this a lot. Yeah, no, keep going I with like the it. Mets so, are good. So, yeah, go,
1: go, go Ryan. So, so the hypothetical days of when Mike Piazza, John Olero, Todd Ziel, Edgar Alfonso, and Ray Ardonez have just John been joking. John Franco, yep, yep. yep. But to be, okay, whatever. But to, be, but to be serious, so let's look at that part in the season when people thought, okay, are the Mets about to challenge for a wild card? Like there is an understanding that at that point in time, the Mets were kind of the primary focus and that's how it works in a lot of cities where like in Seattle, a place that I was at before I came here, like the Seahawks were king. But if you dub football was going to the college football playoff or in a New Year's six, the conversation shifted enough to where people understood that. Whereas if in Denver, you're in a situation here where the Broncos are always going to dominate the landscape. I mean, you know the, the the running joke we have in some cases is like Matt Calvert could score a hat trick and perform open heart surgery, but if Von Miller's dog breaks his fourth left metatarsal, what do you think is going to be the priority? Now, of course, that's a tongue in cheek comment, but to be serious, like I think if the Avalanche start winning and they start looking like what they were, maybe not in, a, in the 95-96 season, but like when they were a team that was consistently competing for a Stanley Cup you will see this city really start to latch on because when the playoffs arrived, I mean, Pepsi Center was as loud as it could be, but at the same time, this is a city that, and sorry to get a little bit socioeconomic here, it's facing a little bit of a challenge in the sense of like Denver, while there are natives, there is still a transient population. And you see it whenever the Blackhawks, the Blues, the Penguins, and the Bruins come to town. In fact, when the Blues were here, of course, the national anthem, you know, they're singing the in "Land of the Free, Home of the Brave. And right when the singer hit Brave, you heard this loud ringing of blues fans yelling blues. And there are times when Pepsi Center becomes a neutral site. And so that's just it. Is I think this is a city that can certainly get behind this team if they're winning. It's just one of those things where they have to be really, really, really good in order to do it. And it's not just the avalanche in that same boat. I mean, you look at the Nuggets and look, let's face it, there's a lot of people back in New York, or really a lot of places on the East Coast, let's say New York or D.C., that would trade what they're watching every night to have a team like the Nuggets where you have some really good talent. And even then, the Nuggets still have a problem with trying to find a way to be the focal point in sports conversation here. So, again, it could change, but everybody knows they're competing against the Broncos.
0: I think Knicks fans would sell their soul right now to trade teams at the Nuggets. It's not even close, actually.
1: You know, I mean, it's kind of fascinating just to sort of look at the Knicks because, I mean, you think about, like, everybody else right now that's kind of in their similar situation. I mean, you think about the Hawks. I mean, sure, the Hawks have got some rebuilding to do, but they've got pieces in John Collins and, and Trey Young that you look at and think – They're at least fun. Maybe this could be a – I mean, they maybe this could be a thing someday. You know, it wasn't that long ago the Miami Heat were kind of a middling team, and you look at them now, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do in, in the Eastern Conference. And even with the Nets, I mean – You know, once Kyrie is healthy, once Kevin Durant is healthy, and you pair them with Spencer Dinwiddie, like that's going to be a dangerous team to look out for. Whereas if you look at the Knicks, and it's just like, it's almost like every time the Knicks try, they just say, you know what, what's the point in trying? And it's just, it's a fascinating thing to watch. And just to see, you know, everything from moving on from Porzingis, hoping RJ Bear can be the next thing, the fact that they passed on Dennis Smith for Frank Nielakina only to get Dennis Smith later on. There'll be this franchise where they could literally go 10-72 and 72 and the entire city still watch what they're doing. It's, it's fascinating.
2: I mean, New York's just weird. We live in a city where the Yankees exist and they have 27 World Championship rings. And yet there's still a significant portion of the city that openly roots for the Mets. Like, that's so that thought process is so backwards. And again, I'm a Met fan saying this, so I admit that I participate. But but in- is
1: it though? Is it though? Because I mean, like, here's what I come back to: it's it's one of those things where, like, while they might have 27 championships, like there are some people who they might feel they hear about it so much, they just want an alternative. And like, not only that, but I mean, like, look, I think we can all say this. I think when you're an East Coast sports fan, I mean, I grew up one. I'm not anymore. I don't cheer for anyone because of what I do for a living, unless it's European soccer, F1 racing, because those are things I'll never cover. But look, there's a, there's a the thing about being an East coast and there's a sort of gluttony that like people appreciate when their teams are bad. They feel like they struggle through it together. I mean, like I look at when I did undergrad at the University of Maine, which Maine is such a Red Sox heavy state, and like this was the sort of place that when the Red Sox won the World Series, the question everybody kept asking is, so what are these old people who bitch in the winter about how bad the Sox bullpen gonna do in January now that they have something to be happy about? So, I mean, look, I think that's just kind of part of the equation is as much as people want a winner, there's something about being miserable that just people just kind of latch on to when it comes to being a sports fan.
2: Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, Met fans, we take it to a new level. So, it's hard for me to have any kind of conversation about that. But before I go down a deep, dark hole of misery (laughs) that is New York Mets baseball, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about Yay! Polar yeah. bear boys. I, I, I got I got him and Jake Degrom. That's basically all I got in this world. Uh,
1: uh, I'll give you guard and let's say Edwin Diaz on odd numbered days and maybe Michael Conforto. So I mean, it's not that bad.
2: You're giving me too much hope. Don't do it. I want to give but you see, the here's chance.
1: the thing. Like you look at them <laughs> versus
2: the Marlins. Well, that's not fair. The Marlins, but to be fair, the Marlins have got two World Series rings in in my lifetime. I don't have one. I was born in 1989. I missed the last great Mets team. The Marlins got two I like rings. I my man, like,
1: I don't have one. Like, he's been playing second base for the organization for 15 years. He's
0: been – It's East, you just described it. It's East Coast love. Greg's been there the whole time. He's sweating blood.
2: Yeah, yeah. I Trust me, if the Mets ever win a World Series, that's my ring. That's not whoever <laughs> ring played for the Mets. But anyway, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the second-best rookie defenseman wow. uh, in, in the National Hockey League, which is Cal McCarr. Because we all know Adam Fox is number one. So I want, I want to give run to the clear number two because I, f- I feel like people just aren't talking about him enough.
1: You know, it's such a fascinating discussion in all seriousness seeing the way people view the Fox, McCar, Quinn Hughes sort of discussion. Because in some ways it's kind of a little bit of a regional thing because I think if you live on the East Coast, you're seeing Adam Fox a lot more and you just go, wow. I mean, look at what he's doing. But they, and he did this at Harvard last year. Whereas if you look at Quinn Hughes, and it's been fascinating to sort of watch that in Vancouver, where there are some people who feel like he's not talked about enough, but it's like this is the same city that a year ago like had Elias Pedersen, and that guy was one of the overarching discussions about the hockey and not only that, but just being one of the standout future performers in this league for several years to come. And when you look at Kale McCarr, it seems like the difference between Hughes, Fox, and McCarr is this. McCar's had a little bit more of a platform and a higher profile to the point where he's more known because, I mean, look, he wins the Hobie Baker. He gets UMass, a program that had struggled for several years to the Frozen Four and to the national title game. He jumps right in with the avalanche. He scores a game-winning goal in his first game. Is one of the reasons why they force a game seven against the Sharks in the Western Conference semifinal. And now you look at him and he has these games where like you look at when they played the wild earlier this season, they're down two nothing. He scores two goals to tie the game. Yes, they lose, but like how often are you seeing a 20, 21 year old defenseman being able to do that? And not only that, but he's doing it on a team that again, right now by comparatively speaking, and it's weird to say this, but nationally, if you're looking around the league. I mean, people look at the Canucks, I think going into the season felt this was a team that was talented, but there's still a little bit more of a wait and see with the Rangers. <clears throat> I think it's that, but slightly to a lesser degree, was it the abs, people were thinking, look, they have the second best odds of winning the Western Conference and top five odds of winning a Stanley Cup. So with that, I think it's come more of a profile. But I think kind of going back to what you are saying about Kale McCarr, I mean, look, I think the thing that has really stood out with people with McCarr is just, it's his overall ability to sort of not only take over games, but be engaging in a way that this team really only sees from Nathan McKinnon and at times Nico Ronson. And And so it's not only just that, but again, it's the way he's been able to progress too, because, you know, look, his defense is something that they've seen improve because early on there were some shaky moments. It's why, you know, look, they played Pittsburgh in overtime. He commits a turnover that leads to a shorthanded goal. And then the next time, next night they play Florida and he's on the bench for overtime. So again, there's been some ups and downs, but when you look at what he's been able to do, it's all about trying to find the right mix. And so, you know, you're seeing him how, you're seeing him learn how to orchestrate an NHL power play, which the abs have struggled in that department after being top five, top 10 the last couple years. But then you're also seeing the fact that, like, it's taking them a little bit to figure out the best partner. Is it Zdorov? Is it Ian Cole? There are times where they play him and Samuel Girard if they need offense uh, and offensive production. But you've seen him now partner with Ryan Graves, which gives them left, right, big, small sort of dynamics. So again, like you're seeing a lot from Kale McCarr, but just it's one of those things where you almost have to view it in different segments to really fully understand
2: uh, the, the whole of everything. But some of it is also just like, it's, it's a snapshot of fan security or fair, fan insecurity, right? Because really I, we're having some fun with you, but there isn't a single New York Ranger fans that think Adam Fox is having a better year than McCarr. Uh, but we're at the same time just pigs and shit happy that Adam Fox is as good as he is. Whereas I I think every fan of every other team besides the Canucks admits that McCarr, not just the front runner far and away for the Calder, but he's a dude that's actually in the conversation for the Norris itself. Whereas I think Canuck fans literally feel like Quinn Hughes is having a better season and there's nothing you can say to convince them differently. It's it, and they do it in the most Canadian way possible where they're also not disparaging McCarr's season. They just think Quinn Hughes is flat out better.
1: But here's the thing. It's understandable why they feel the way they do. I mean, when you look at what Quinn Hughes does and five on five, the minutes he plays, all the different things he does, I think in some ways it's just easy to classify him as a puck mover. But when you really start looking at the intricacies of his game, I mean, there's a lot about his game at this stage, at this age in his career, where he is above what you would normally expect. And so, look, it's certainly an interesting conversation. I think what it comes back to is this. A lot of teams would kill to have Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, and Quinn Hughes. There's always going to be these sort of discussions about which one of the three is better. And, you know, talking to someone, throughout, someone in the league the other day, they're like, look, Buffalo has Rasmus. The Avalanche has Kale. Quinn is with Vancouver. And Adam Fox is with the Rangers. There's a lot of teams like the Red Wings that would just be happy to have one of those four. So it doesn't really matter who's better at this point. They're all really, really good. But see, what you're saying about McCarr in this season, I mean, if he doesn't get injured, there's that conversation of. Does he break Larry Murphy's record for most points by rookie defenseman? I mean, it seems like he's on pace to come close, but just watching what he's done at this point, I mean, look, it's, it's certainly been fascinating, but look, at the end of the day, those are three franchises that are happy with what they have, just like Buffalo's happy with what it has in Rasmus Dallin, just like when you look at the Dallas Stars, they are beyond <laughs> happy with what they have with Nero Heiskin. And it just seems like watching those five, you just kind of start to wonder, is this the era where people think they can find a franchise defenseman and have them ready to play in two years? I mean, who knows? Cause again, you know, you just never know how these things are going to work out.
0: Right. I want to thank you so much for, you know, giving us some of your time tonight and why don't you go ahead and plug exactly what you do and where people could find you.
1: I don't want to put people through that misery. All right, I mean, that's fine. Let's not do that. Okay. No, nah, but to be serious. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like, uh, yeah, I mean, look, if you want to come find our stuff, um, I guess my stuff, i yeah i meant mine not ours sorry there i go trying to be part of the team we're team ryan i said it it was okay (sighs) but to be serious i mean just check out the athletic and go to the avalanche tab and you know everything i do is typically right there and so yeah that that's really it so yeah I, i hope that's a decent enough sales pitch i don't know it's just uh it's one of those things where you know look it's just they're a really really interesting team in the sense of what they can do with the trade deadline, with the salary cap, what their lineup's going to look like, what they look like next year, uh, 10 years from now. I mean, I mean, who's to say, but, you know, look again, this is just such a really interesting team, but at the same time, you look at the Rangers as well. And I mean, we were discussing this uh, before we started recording and I mean, just, again, you think about what the Rangers are trying to achieve. You look at that defense and, you know, kind of a reminiscent of what we were saying about Carolina, how Carolina went about building its defense through this sort of, homegrown organic approach. And you think about it, you've got Truba and you've got Shea. They're both 25 years old. Neangelo's 24. Lindgren's a guy beside the 21. Adam Fox is 21 too. But then, you know, when you take a step back at the system and, and, and the young pieces they've got up right now, I mean, of course, everybody's going to talk about Capo Caco and I mean, right, mm. they should. And it seems like once he figures it out and he's really kind of able to, to, to sort of just find that sense of comfort He's going to be a danger in this league for years to come but again it's other young guys you look at philip Heedle, you look at brett howden i mean you're talking about 21 and 20 um but then again when you look at goaltending between gorgiev and shesterkin i mean it's just it's a team that right now is so young in so many different eras and so many different ways that again what they're doing and what they're building toward i mean everybody just keeps kind of looking at it. i mean Vitaly Kratsov's another one. I mean, Elias Anderson's another one. I mean, again, it's just like you you think so much about what they're trying to achieve. And and again, it looks like this is a team that's really trying to do it. And furthermore, I mean, you think about their cap situation. Imagine what they're going to be in a few years' time once they get the Girardi contract off the books. I mean, I know Spooner's at 300 k for the next two years. But then when they are able to get the Shattenkirk deal off the books, which I know that's what 1.43 for three years and I believe it's what around 6-1 in 2021 20, yes. I, I mean once they are able to get some financial flexibility I mean look I mean clearly they have some with what they did with Artemi Panarin but when you look at what they're doing with the draft how they're trying to build the prospect base and how it's a place for free agents to come play I mean you look at the Rangers and it shouldn't take them long to be good again.
0: Honestly, you did the whole show for us, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, we'll have you back on sometime soon. If there, if there is a trade between the Avs and the Rangers, that will be pretty immediately. Have a good night, man. Hey, you guys do the same. Awesome. Peace out. What a tremendous interview from our good friend and my, my name brother, Ryan Clark. Just knew way more about the cap situation than I was ready to handle. And just came in here spewing numbers. Also, he named the entire Avalanche organization. And I thought that was pretty impressive.
2: Good dude. Been meaning to have him on for a while. And honestly, my, I don't know, stupidity, my inability to find his email address. Shout out Shayna Goldman being the true MVP once again. Hitting us with Ryan's email. So, coworkers helping coworkers, really.
0: People helping people. Uh, we'll talk about the DH another day, um, cause I'm sure we'll have all summer to talk about that. So I guess we'll just sign off. I want to thank everyone for supporting us as always. Eric Kahn is a supporter, Ben Weber, uh, Ben Waters, Tori from Manhattan. I'm missing somebody here. I think I, I love all of you. Thomas O'Neill. I think it's another one. And
2: well, do uh, we, do we even, do we even have a long DH debate? I think you and I are both on the same page. Oh, we are.
0: I just think it's interesting that they're finally, I didn't even know that was happening until you posted about it today. I had no clue.
2: I, it's, still, it's still not definite. It's just all signs point to 2021. Um, no New York Rangers hockey till
0: Friday. So I don't – do I know what Greg and I are going to do for the BSBOT? No, but we're going to find something out. You can follow me on Twitter at OrionMedia. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break, and we will be back next week with another episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway. We love you. Bye-bye.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.